This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. John Kanzano today here on the BFT. So great to have you in. Great to be chatting. With everybody out there, there's only about 700 sports stories that I want to get to on today's show, and we will be getting to as many as we can until 5.15 Pacific time before we end it off for Thursday Night Football. So a busy, busy night in sports. Hope you're enjoying your day wherever you're listening. Steven and Judah are with me as always. It is great to be back, guys. Are we pouring one out for the final Pac-12 football game tomorrow night in Las Vegas? Gosh, I hope so. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's a little weird. It's a little weird, right? But I, at least it, this way, the winners should be going to the college football playoff. Like, finally, the Pac-12 gets a team should. in. Should. Now, I will say it would be the most Pac-12 thing ever if uh, Alabama would beat Georgia and somehow they sneak in over an Oregon team once they beat Washington. But at least this way, it seems like right now, Spencer, that uh, one of these teams will be getting into the CFP. Yeah, it certainly feels that way. I think Washington is guaranteed. I think Oregon more likely than not they're in uh, if if they win the game. The Huskies being at number three in the college football playoff rankings, I think, helps them quite a bit. Quarterbacks are in the transfer portal. I mean, a lot of them. There are probably going to be even more of them. Uh, it feels like the quarterback carousel is, is as wild as the coaching carousel sometimes. So for a lot of teams, it's the offseason in college football, but that's not the case for Oregon and Washington right now. I don't want to start there today and give a, uh, a a verbal pour one out for for the Pac-12 here because I I grew up in in Lake Oswego I grew up a Pac-12 fan my entire life I'm a Duck fan uh, by trade and then on my Pac-12 podcast I'm a de facto Cal Bears fan which if you listen to the show you know what uh, what I'm joking about there but I, I I just look at this conference and I'm so even more sad. I've always been sad at the loss of the conference. It's always been something I've looked at and said, man, why did it come to this? Why did it have to come to this? Why are we doing this? What's happening here? Why are we blowing this up? I think that's going to be underscored even more tomorrow night in Las Vegas. Oregon and Washington, the border war rivalry, third time they've met in the last two years. Last two meetings have been decided by a field goal. They have been instant classics. They haven't gone the Ducks way. I think tomorrow could be a really, really fun, exciting football game once again. But just think about Just sit there and think about the totality of this conference in 2023. And we were all talking before the year, and it's gone by in the blink of an eye, as it always does, because football is the greatest sport on earth, college football specifically, of course. It's gone by so quickly, and before the year, I remember what all the talking points were, and I was aware and talked about many of them, and you were probably aware of many of them as well, which is the Pac-12 is the best quarterback conference in America. Fact check true, though a lot of guys have now played their final game in uh, our beloved conference of champions here. It was going to be one of the deepest conferences in America. Yeah, that has uh, proven to be true, no matter what the committee 
he says Tennessee is not actually as good as uh, the committee says they are. And here we are with this conference that's going to play this epic rivalry game with a chance to go to the playoff, with a chance to win the conference, with a chance to get another one against your rival. It's the biggest matchup in the history of Oregon-Washington. There's never been more on the line. And that was true the first time they played back in October, and now they've upped the stakes by a factor of five. And yet somehow, someway, this conference that had storylines ranging from Lincoln Riley's inability to coach a defense or hire a good defensive coordinator to Deion Sanders' rise and then precipitous fall from grace in the eyes of the college football world, everything that has played out, all the great games, it's all going away. It's all going away for what exactly? I, I know there are people out there that are fans of uh, this realignment stuff. I, I, I feel like most people listening probably are not at some level. And, and I, I find it curious that there are fans who are supportive of all of this realignment nonsense and craziness. Let's, let's not even get to the part where Oregon State and Washington State are being left behind in a way that they in no way, shape, or form deserve. Never have, never will. Washington, or Washington State's beaten uh, a Big Ten team in Wisconsin, a good program, twice in a row. Oregon State is ranked inside the top 20 right now. We'll talk about the Beavs coming up uh, plenty on today's show as well because lot, lots of stuff happening there. Let's just not even get to that part of the conversation. In, in what world is it better for the fans when you're playing teams that you have no history, no tradition with, no feel with, every time, even just in a casual matchup. Let's take the Bay Area schools, right? The ones that don't care about football compared to the rest of the conference, which I think from a fan base perspective has some validity to it. There are not great crowds at Stanford. You can get a decent crowd at Cal uh, every now and then. They had a good crowd for the Auburn game, but it, it, it's not like other places. It's not like a Research Stadium or a Rice-Eccles or an Autzen or Husky Stadium or, or, or any place like that. When you, as an Oregon or Oregon State fan or any other Pac-12 fan listening to this right now, have a game against a Cal, a Washington State, an Arizona, an Arizona State, you know what to expect and you know what you're thinking about. You know, I had Oregon fans asking me all the time, hey, are we worried about going down to the desert? We've had bad things happen there before. That sort of history is unique to college football. And that sort of history has been built over many, many decades. And now we're all going to start building a new history. I know the big games are going to be fun. I'm not here to tell you that Oregon against Ohio State and Michigan next year isn't going to be a great game. What I get annoyed with is the people who plug that sort of stuff. A lot of national media pundits who are in that particular discussion. But even if you're a fan saying, oh, man, I can't wait to play Ohio State. I can't wait to play Michigan. Why? Why? Well, I mean, it's just going to be such a big game. Oh, so so you're getting some of the money, some of the ad revenue that that game is generating, right? You're, you're, you're getting some of it. Is, is that why you're excited? Because if you are, okay, now – now I understand it. You know, Colin Coward works for Fox. So when he goes on and says, I can't wait to watch USC play Michigan and Ohio State. Yeah, that's because you work for a company that is financially invested in the Big Ten. No, 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 duh. Of course you're going to be in favor of that. So I, I just can't get behind that being a great thing. And then you look at the biggest gripe that I have with all of this, which is two schools that deserve to have a power four home in 2024 and beyond do not have one. I, I mean, that, 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 that's my biggest gripe with it. 
But if you want to remove that, I just look at the history component and say, is this really worth it? Is, is, is this really worth it? The Pac-12 is not going to play. They're going to have a basketball tournament this year, but Pac-12 basketball has always been, you know, solid, good, having, you know, won a national championship since, I think it was Arizona in 97, what was the last one to do it. And there are some good fan bases for basketball, but it's not as big as football. Nothing is as big as football. Football funds athletic departments. Football has got the biggest television ratings. Judah, have you ever looked at one of those charts that show you the most watch live American telecasts in 2023? I know exactly what you're talking about, man. And it's crazy. it's hilarious. It's crazy. It's how hilarious. Much football dominates everything, and it's scarcity. I, I like the scarcity of it is why it's so great. I mean, you can only wake up. You know, there, there's a there's a running joke that I fully subscribe to, by the way, that, that fall weddings should be outlawed. I, I mean, just like, like come on. It, in, the Uni- in, the, in these United States, in this great country, we cannot have fall weddings interfering with college football because there are, I don't know how many hundreds of days in a year that you can have a wedding. You know how many days you can wake up and watch your favorite team play college football? It's less than 15. There are 365 days a year. So that's why football is great, and it's wildly popular, and it's great, and the money—it's just—it's such a big production. There's so many people that that are involved with all of that, and to just take that product and tarnish it the way that the sport is doing, and the powers that be, and the people that are making these decision decisions—I I think it is a damn shame. And it's—you it, know—I'm excited for the game. Make no mistake about it. I'm going to be there in Las Vegas. I would love to see any of you there. If you see me there, by all means, come up and and, and say hello. But I, I just, I just don't see how anyone that is not going to directly benefit financially thinks any of this is worth it. How, like, am I nuts here, Stephen? Like, what, what is it? What is it worth to a fan to go play, you know, games that are against opponents you have no history and tradition with in a sport that is dif- has differentiated itself from the NFL because of history, tradition, and pageantry. Now, I will say, um, in my defense, I was married in uh, September, September eighth. The Oregon State Beavers played. <laughs> we Wisconsin. need to have a discussion off the air. But, a, a discussion off the air. But it's one of those things where uh, Spencer, I remember the date and I remember the game. Like I'll never forget it. It was the Beavers. Versus Wisconsin when uh, Oregon State recovered the onside kick, you know, really low scoring game in Research Stadium. So well, that's another conversation, like you said. But um, I'm with you. Like the tradition part, it is sad. But at the same time, like you mentioned, Oregon always has trouble going down to Tempe or going down to Tucson, and Arizona. Isn't that going to happen now in the Big Ten? Like maybe they have trouble in East Lansing, or maybe they have trouble when they have to travel to Maryland, and that becomes one of these weird little rivalries that we weren't expecting. Like. I get what you're saying. Like, I love the Pac-12. I'm a Pac-12 guy. Like, I grew up in the state. I've always been around it. I'm one of those weirdos that likes Pac-12 basketball. Like, I love the Pac-12. I like Pac-12 basketball. I love the Pac-12. I love staying up and watching these late games. But, like, I do feel like at the end of the day, like, it's going to figure itself out. And Oregon and Oregon, you know, not Oregon State, but Oregon's going to have some type of rivalry with, you know, some weird team like Iowa or Rutgers or Maryland. And they're going to oh, yeah. I can't wait for t- I can't wait for twenty two to seven barn burners with Iowa. I'm stoked. I well, I can't I, wait to watch that football product. I agree with you, but like, isn't that going to happen? Like, that's going to happen where Oregon struggles against one of these teams we don't expect, and then instead of Arizona, like, just because Arizona is a little bit closer than you know uh, Michigan State is, or you know one of these other yeah. teams, it, it's just going to turn into the same thing, isn't it? 
I, I, I get that. I, I think that my my counterpoint is that the history isn't there, so you don't know what it is, and it's just going to feel different, right? I, I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, you're not going to have matchups that are going to turn out to be fun, exciting football games, but it's going to feel different because when you watch two teams in the Pac-12 go at it, whoever they are, and, wh- you know, whichever team you happen to be a fan of, there is something to kind of remembering all the games in the past that you have had with them and all the matchups that have played out in the different games and upsets and crazy thrillers and, and everything like that. And, and by the way, you know, we've also retired PAC 12 after dark now, like that is the biggest travesty of, of, of it all. And on the, on the change front, I'll, I'll close with this. And I want to talk about uh, transfer portal quarterbacks because there's only about 70 available. It seems at, at this point in time, when when you're looking at college football changing, right? They say you know the only constant is change. Change is inevitable. Yada yada yada. Okay, I I understand that. For me, I don't know if you guys have nicknames, but I have a lot of nicknames personally. Two of my friends from college. This is a true story, by the way. They call me Grandpa. They call me Grandpa because I play a lot of golf. I go to bed early. I don't like to party. I don't drink very much. I can get really annoyed with people in my generation. Like it, there, there, there are a number, there are other factors as well that line up in that sense. And, and one thing is that I'm not a fan of change for change sake. And I am a fan of change when it is needed. So take baseball, for instance, baseball has had to change the way they put their product on television. Why? Cause they were having a problem. That's that not enough people were watching, not enough people were going to games because the action was too slow. So they made changes to make it a more consumable product. When I look at all these changes in college football, why did they ever need to be made? The answer is they didn't. College football's never had a money issue. They haven't, they haven't had a television ratings issue. Before the Big Ten expanded with USC and UCLA and everyone, they were going to get a television deal close to a billion dollars over however many years. There wasn't an interest issue. There wasn't a fa- It's football. I got like I was talking about with Judah earlier. Like you had so much going for you and just pure, pure greed. Greed, incompetence, stupidity, arrogance. You can look at a number of different negative things that have led to the downfall of this conference. I am so excited for the game tomorrow, but when it ends, I think all of these feelings are really going to hit me. And by the way, I'm an Oregon fan. My team has found a home, and I'm just crushed for all the beeves and the cougs out there that are that are just going, boy, the Pac-12 is going to end tomorrow, and we're going to have nowhere to go. Well, let me get your take on this because we've, you know, John's talked about this, how there's some Beaver fans that don't want to play the Ducks going forward. There's some Duck fans that don't want to play the Beavs. But there's yeah. also a lot of teams that want to play each other. Like what? As you as a Duck fan, what's your view on that? Are are you willing to go to Research Stadium? I think that's the big holdup right now. Is Oregon doesn't necessarily want to go to Corvallis because they don't have to. Like they're the University of Oregon. They don't need to go to a Mountain West school and play on the road. What's your take on the whole Oregon taking on Oregon State in football going forward? You know, I I, I would like for the Civil War to continue. I I would like that. But you know, the caveat is. Even if it does continue, it'll never feel the same. You know, one of my favorite memories as an Oregon fan is 2009 at Autzen Stadium, watching that game. I wasn't there in person, but I remember it very well. That game was winner gets to go to the Rose Bowl. Even if the rivalry continues, 
you can never put that sort of pedigree on the game. You'll never have those sort of stakes again because Oregon State is is essentially, you know, getting relegated here, and that's not right. It shouldn't happen, and I I want the game to continue. But as I've thought about it more, I don't think I'm as adamant that the game has to. Again, I still lean towards yes, but I'm not as much in the camp of well, it's got to because you know what I realize is the stakes are just not going to be the same. There's always been an element of Oregon's got to win or else it's an upset. That just gets exacerbated with Oregon going to the Big Ten and the Beavs being left to to, to kind of fend for themselves. So uh, I, I want to get to this because DJ Uyunglele has put his name into the transfer portal. So too has Dante Moore down at UCLA, both former five-star quarterbacks. Cam Ward has not put his name in the portal yet or isn't reportedly going to. I, I don't believe, uh, by the way, I love how the NCAA is proclaiming to be an organization and entity that cares very much about tampering. I'm sure they'll be all over the investigation uh, about Cam Ward reportedly, according to Brock Heward of 710 ESPN, having a bunch of NIL offers before his name is in the portal. I don't know what you all think tampering is. That's exactly what, what it is. I make that point to say it's so pervasive there isn't really a point in trying to police it. And so when people do get caught, I think they they have a right to to be frustrated there. But Jonathan Smith leaves for Michigan State, take Brian Lindgren, the offense coordinator, with him. Trent Bray is is the head coach, and I'll talk about him later later this hour and what I think he needs to do to hit the ground running effectively in Corvallis as its newest head coach. But DJ Uyunglele and, and Dante Moore going in the transfer portal, I, Stephen, I think a lot of these guys are going to garner attention because of what they were coming out of high school. And I thought DJ was solid this year for Oregon State, but he had a real good team around him in Corvallis, and that's why they went 8-4. and four. If you gave him a mediocre team, if you gave him Washington State's team with Cam Ward up there, I, I, I don't think that that team even wins five games the way that, that Washington State did. Well, I mean, think back to last year, Bill Branson – how many games did he win? You know, Oregon State goes nine and three in the regular season. If Bill Branson's a starting quarterback for Oregon State, what's their record? I mean, I don't know that there's really a game that I can think of that DJ put the team on his back in one game. Like I, Cal. I, I would say the Cal game. Then maybe that's it. I mean, then maybe Oregon State seven and five. Like it's not. I'm with you. Like DJ, there he left a lot on the table, man. He he was. I was a little disappointed in DJ. I wanted, I was expecting a little bit more coming in. Thought he could be a guy that could elevate Oregon State, and he just couldn't do it. He just wasn't that guy. Nothing against him, but now I think he's going to go to a new school or go to the NFL and have a new opportunity. But you're, with these transfer portals, man, it's it's crazy because you look at the transfer portal and how important it is. Go look at the Heisman Trophy list right now. Jane Daniels transfer, Bo Nix transfer, Michael Penix Jr. transfer. Like you can find the best players in college football and they're not on your team right now, especially if you're a top school. So I, I, I think it's very important, especially when you're looking at Oregon right now and Bo Nix is going to be gone after this year. What are they going to do? Are they going to go with Ty Thompson? Is it going to be a Dante Moore? Is it going to be Cam Ward? Is it going to be DJ? Like, that, oh, you know Oregon especially is going to be in the transfer portal business. So, like, it, you can find the best players. Like, not good players, the best players in college football, and they're out there. You, you can. You also have to have a support system. I think Washington State learned this with uh, Cam Ward, or rather Cam Ward learned this at Washington State. And I think it's going to factor into whatever decision he might end up making is, you know, Cam Ward found a home at Washington State, and they did a lot of, of really good things. But ultimately, there was a ceiling because it turns out it's hard to recruit 
up in Pullman. I think Jake Dickert is a good football coach, has done a good job there as as the Cougars head man, but there are just limitations on what they can you know accomplish as as a program at this point in time in in college football, especially as you move into the uh, the NIL world. I mean, did you guys hear his comments on? Uh, on on NIL a, a few weeks ago, basically saying, you know, we don't we don't even have as much as Oregon State, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold, hold 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 up, I don't I don't think Oregon <laughs> State's rolling in the NIL cash here compared to some of the other big programs. Like, how dire are things at at, at Washington State? A couple more thoughts on on DJ Uyunglele and a guy that we refer to as a goat correctly in his own sport back in action. That's coming up next. Spencer McLaughlin here on the BFT Network. Spencer McLaughlin in for John Canzano here on the BFT Network. Let's hop right back into DJ Uyunglele, who is in the transfer portal or or going to be. I, I'm so confused, guys, on how the rules work here or if there are actually any rules. Because I was told reliably, because you know this is how reality actually works, that the transfer portal opens on December 4th, and yet you're allowed to declare ahead of time. Like, every single one of those can warrant a tampering investigation but we're just it's it's the wild wild west out here isn't it isn't it they can officially transfer like they can go to a new school on monday like they can enter the portal now but they can't commit to somewhere new on monday like that's what i was kind of thought but i that's a total guess i don't want to act like i know what i'm talking about but i feel like that's what i that's what i was thinking I, I just know December 4th was the date that everyone could, you know, go into the portal, and that's when Oregon State and Washington State were trying to get some clarity on, on their legal situation by, and all and all of a sudden, you know, uh, all, all hell's breaking loose prior to that particular date. But are we that surprised that things are just kind of left to everybody's own devices? No, I, I, I certainly am not. So if I'm DJ Uyunglele, I am not going to the NFL. I don't think that the seasons he put together at Clemson combined with this past one at Oregon state is putting his draft stock in a particularly high position. I think he's got great physical tools. He can make some really great throws when he made good throws this year. I mean, they were high level throws in the game against Oregon. There was one in particular. I think it was, he was down like inside his own 10 yard line and he's rolling out to his right. And a defender comes in his face and he stops, plants his feet, and throws a deep crosser towards the sideline, puts it right on the money, and it was decently covered too. You look at those throws and you go, "Wow, that's that's pretty that's a pretty special throw." That's that's why he was a five star recruit. But there were too many throws, at least that that, that I saw, and I watched a good amount of, of DJ Uyunglele this season. There, there were too many throws out there that I felt like he missed or wasn't pinpoint on, or you know showed a lot of what he showed at Clemson that led him to getting benched in favor of. Kate Klubnik over there. Uh, by the way, speaking of teams, I mentioned Tennessee earlier that that are ranked that shouldn't be ranked. Clemson's in the top twenty-five, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, they gosh. were at least oh, last week. I think they're still in the top twenty-five. There's one bowl projection that we were laughing about this week that has Clemson playing Oregon State in a Holiday Bowl. <laughs> well, but, but uh, that wouldn't be fun. That wouldn't be funny anymore. It wouldn't be funny anymore because it, it would not be funny anymore since since DJ's going to the portal. I, I would look. For a new home, if I if I'm DJU, I, I don't think that your NFL draft prospects have been maximized. And I think the other component as well is when you look at what NIL has done in a good way, it's kept quarterbacks from going to the NFL early because they can make money in college now. And I think that component is good for the teams. I also think that component is good for the players. 
I think there are a lot of guys who boost their draft stock and therefore their future lifetime earnings. I mean, the difference between being a first or second round pick in the NFL draft and being a fourth, fifth, sixth round pick, it's a lot. It is a lot of money. And I think that if you want to have the most success professionally, you want to go in as prepared as you can. You know, I think back to Marcus Mariota and, you know, after his second year, which was an injury riddled season, there was talk about him going out to the NFL draft. He decided to come back, prove he was healthy, get a little bit better. He goes out and wins the Heisman Trophy and he's the number two overall pick. I mean, where is he taken if, you know, he doesn't do all of that sort of stuff, leading Oregon National championship game so I, I think guys can get a lot better when they're not refined and, and that's how i feel uh, about dju so i don't know what sort of program is the perfect fit for him because i think oregon state frankly was I, I think it had everything that gave him the ability to succeed at the highest level and he did well not not great but definitely not poorly i think he did well you know he had I think six or seven games where his completion percentage was under 60%. If I'm an NFL scout, that's something that I want to see improve. I think he can be a little bit of a statue in the pocket. I think that his ability to read defenses can make him look a little statuesque sometimes. But if he works on those sorts of things, yeah, I mean, I I, I could see it working out. Steven, you want to jump in? Yeah, where do you – like, because – okay, because I was a little disappointed in DJ, but – you, Matt Rule yesterday, he came out and he said, you know, a good quarterback's going to cost you a million, a million five, something like that, $2 right. million. Dollars. And then you have Jake Dicker talking about, you know, all these schools, even Oregon State has all, you know, so much more money. Is DJ one of those guys that gets and deserves a million dollars from one of these big-time schools? Or is he going to have to go down to a Mountain West program? Like, I, I'm with you. I think Oregon State was the perfect program for him because they wanted to run the football. They had Damian Martinez to lean on. They had the speedsters that he could throw deep because that was definitely his strength was throwing the deep pass down the field. Like, when you throw the intermediate routes, that's not DJ's – that's not his strength. He likes to throw the ball down the field. He had the speed guys, and then he had Damian to lean on. If DJ gets uh, – you know, if he goes to a bigger school, I, I had some, read some rumors, you know, Oregon maybe in the mix, uh, you know, no. Florida oh, gosh, State. Gosh, no. Gosh, no. Florida I, State, I, I, what look. are you – a lot of these schools. Let me let me put on let Spencer, me let me put on my or, there, Oregon huh? hat here for a moment. Let me let me put on my Oregon hat for a moment because people are going to draw that connection, right? Well, his brother plays for Oregon. That that'd be a great fit. If I'm DJ, I would love to have Oregon, you know, call me and say, "Hey, we want you to come be our quarterback in in 2024." I do not see that as the best option for the Ducks. I'd rather see Ty Thompson start. And I think that if you're going after a portal quarterback. DJ isn't even the best one coming out of the Pac-12 for next year. If Cam Ward is not going to the NFL, you take Cam Ward over DJ Uyunglele. I, I don't think that's even close if 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 you're the Ducks. And that's if you're going to go after a transfer portal quarterback. I kind of agree with you on that one. But, you know, to the, to the original question of uh, DJ, like, what – what level is he on? We've seen him now at two different spots in the Power Five. What I mean, he was good, not great. Like, are these schools really going to be banging down the door for a guy like DJ Uyungo? I, I don't think he would get top dollar in the NIL market, as Matt Rule described. I think Cameron Ward would. I, I, I think Cameron Ward, you know, who, again, reportedly, according to Brock Heward, has got, you know, 10 offers or so of a million dollars or more to play at major programs. Yeah, I get that. I mean, he was everything to that Washington State offense. He makes a lot of special throws. He's, you know, inconsistent at times, but I think that can be cleaned up more easily than than DJ can be. And, you know, I, I think DJ is a guy who certainly has value. He can elevate some quarterback rooms, but if you, there, there are better options than, than DJU or Dante Moore out there. I think those guys will kind of be riding on their, their five-star status coming out of high school, and that's what's going to make them alluring 
to to any potential program that, that's going after him. But you know, I, if I'm DJ, I, I don't think I'd want to go all the way back to uh, the East Coast. So then you look at you know a, a Big Twelve school or maybe. Um, you know, maybe even a Big Ten school. Would, would, would a Big Ten school take him? You know, Indiana just hired the the head coach from from James Madison. Would DJ go there after James Madison robbed the Beavs of game day a few weeks ago? I mean, yeah, probably. I'm not done. That was that was a stretch on my part, but I thought of it. So <laughs> I, I I don't know. I, I I don't know. It depends on you know the system and the fit and everything. State. Like like that. <laughs> well, I I don't think DJ would even be the number one option for Jonathan Smith at, at Michigan State. I think there's uh, there's a different guy there. I'll, I'll close with this for now. We might have to revisit uh, a, a little bit later this hour, and I think we will. It has to make Oregon State fans feel good that DJ is deciding to transfer as it pertains to your chances to retain Aiden Childs. That's got to be a, posit- a, a positive step, but we'll come back to that later. So I, I, I teased on the previous side of the break that a, a GOAT, was was back in action. His name is Tiger Woods. He's playing at the Hero World Challenge. He fired 75 today, which most of us, myself included, would be absolutely thrilled thrilled with on that particular golf course. Uh, I doubt that he is. He's not in last place, though, but he is definitely far from first place. I think that Brian Harmon is. Uh, I think that Brian Harmon is is winning right now on. Uh, what you may call it on at, at the Hero World Challenge, World Challenge there, but Tiger Woods back on the golf course. Gosh Almighty, is that a great thing to see out of the pipes of Dan Hicks? Good looking putt and long range center cut for Tiger. A little smile on his face as he picks up that first birdie since the fifth. There's nothing like Tiger playing golf. There, there, there is nothing like the effect of Tiger Woods. On golf, and you know, the thing that I like most about seeing him back out there is that it feels like whenever he does retire now, if he's able to play in just a few events a year, a couple majors, you know, certainly at Augusta, maybe one other major, just make an appearance here and there, and you know, be competitive just a couple times, not contending for the win, but just you know, put out a top twenty or top thirty or anything like that. I think it'd feel a lot better for the golf fans who didn't want to see him go out on, you know bad terms when it comes to his health. I think you want to see Tiger go out on his terms. I mean, this is a guy who's meant everything to the game of golf. Everybody on tour right now makes more money because Tiger Woods played back in the early 2000s. Everybody idolized Tiger Woods. Everybody did all that sort of stuff. I, I think that he's just meant so much to the game, and you know, not everybody likes him. I, I understand that. I didn't used to like him when, when I was a kid, and then I've grown up and come to appreciate what he's meant to the game of golf, the one that I love so much. And I, I want to see him go out on his own terms. So I, I don't expect him to compete or win another major. He's probably done sitting at, you know, 15, which is the second most all time to Jack Nicklaus, of course. And many will consider him the greatest golfer ever. I, I just want to see him go out and just having him around the game. I, I think he gets such an amount of love and appreciation from golf fans. I, I I'm, I'm a fan of Tiger Woods being able to being able to step up and 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 tee off and play in an event that's that's where i'm on it steven any thoughts yeah i mean tiger he's awesome right there's no denying that tiger woods is one of the best ever if not the best ever um i never had a problem with the whole you know cheating on his wife thing like that's (laughs) i mean not that i i don't i don't condone it i just want to make it very clear that steven said that while i'm 
hosting the show, not I something that I said personally. That's not what the blogs will pick up. No, no, I said it. Um, oh, boy. I, I, you know what? I, I feel like with athletes, that stuff kind of happens, but, you know, whatever. It is what it is. I don't condone it. I wouldn't do it. I don't do it. But, uh, you know, for Tiger, it's kind of one of his things. But, you know, I, I, like, he was awesome. And he, you're right. He brought all the eyeballs to golf. He brought a lot of money to golf. And the effect that he's had still that – you know, people are still out to watch him. People are still out to try to get him and beat him. Like, it, it's great. It, it, you want to see him be healthy with all the stuff that he's had go on in his career. I'm with you, man. Just just stay healthy, Tiger. But um, if there's any opportunity for me to, like, bet against him, you know, miss the cut, that that's what I'm looking for. Wow. Steven coming in from the top shelf. Judah, can you believe yeah, this guy? Don't tell the, me. Uh, the audacity of this guy. You should, if you want to talk about betting on Tiger Woods, it's got to be where can you seek value on getting him to like top 30 or top 40 at Augusta, <laughs> you know, no one, no one wants to see this, this miss the cut yeah. sort of stuff. Let's hit the phone lines here. 503-417-7575 is the number to call Jake in Vancouver. Jake, oh, what do you got? Jake just dropped uh, a second Jake ago. Just Sorry. Dropped. But okay, I can tell don't... you his take. He had to take on okay, DJU. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. Let, let's, let's go. Well, Jake, if you're listening, feel free. Feel free to to call back in if if you'd like. But uh, Judah, why don't you why don't you relay it? Here? He was saying like you know you look at guys like Marcus Mariota and going into the NFL being high draft picks and having it not necessarily work out. I mean we see in the NFL draft all the time drafting a quarterback's a crapshoot to begin with in a lot of ways. Drafting a quarterback high in the draft means you're probably going to a bad team. In DJ's case, it might be help behoove him to go into the uh, NFL draft, even if he might not be a. Uh, high round pick and especially not a high first round pick because he might be going into a better situation. When you think about DJ and his NFL prospects, would it behoove him more to get into the right situation, even if he's a backup or a third string quarterback, I mean, rather I, than try to, well, guess, to force the issue? I, I want to ask you guys pick. as Seahawks fans, you guys welcoming him to Seattle? Why do you do this? No, uh, Why do you do yes, this to no, me? No, you always no, do this to no, me. I'm sorry. Sorry, DJ. I'm sorry, DJ. Someone no, was um, trying to get me to say Michael Penix to the Seahawks on yesterday's I, show. I don't, I don't want that either. I don't like. I don't like that fit either. When was the last time the Seahawks had a good offensive line? 2013 when, was, when right, we won the Super Bowl. Right before yeah. the Max Unger trade. The Max uh, Unger gosh, trade changed disaster. changed everything. Um, you know, and and like me as an Oregon fan, that cut me twice because it was we <laughs> traded a legendary duck and then made our team worse I, I yeah i didn't didn't rough. care didn't care for that one but on so on on the dj front i i, I think that jake brings up a, a good point which is if you're not going to be a top five pick at quarterback the way caleb williams or drake may or you know all these other guys michael Penix, bonix who else quinn ewers everybody you have the opportunity to go to a better situation my issue with dj is when i watch him i don't think that he's processing defenses fast enough and doesn't look comfortable enough in the Pac-12. How is that translating over to the NFL? It's going to get a lot harder. You can track that with Penix and Knicks. When the ball gets out, it looks like a decisive throw mm -hmm. that's going to the right spot because either guy has diagnosed the defense correctly, knows where the weak spots are, and is then going able to being able to exploit it. DJ, I feel like there are still several throws a game where he's just throwing it up for grabs or he doesn't know where, you know, he wants to go with the football or anything like that. That that's my concern with him is I don't think he's 
I don't think he's sufficiently refined and processing things quickly enough to get to the NFL. And with that decisiveness, people always talk about like the confidence of a quarterback. And when they're talking about Knicks and Penix, you'll always hear, hey, these guys are confident in what they're doing. They have control. They have command of the offense. I never felt that way about DJ this year. No, I didn't either. No, I felt like Brian Lindgren, the play caller, was was in charge of the offense. You know, but, whereas... but they were trying to get DJ to that level and never could quite get him to that, that level. And when DJ came to Corvallis, one of his lines was, I wanted the system. This system will prepare me for the right. NFL. This system will get me ready. And I was like, that's music to my ears. The scheme, the system is going to be great. The pro style, the, the play action game, the strong running game. And then the fruits of it were good, not great. But now I'm wondering with his next step, I mean, what system do you want now? You know, if, if this was the system you wanted to get you ready for the NFL, and now obviously you can't stay because the system went to East Lansing. But wh- where do you go from here if you still want the, the system that fits you to, to get you ready? You, but, know, you, may, you maybe go to East Lansing. I, I, mean, I don't think it would be. It's it's clearly not a horrible fit. I mean, they just won eight games, and I know Oregon State fans were hoping for more, and the Beavs were were certainly capable of more in in, in 2023. We all know and understand that at this point, I think. But I mean, at Michigan State, you know, what are your options at quarterback? Like their guy just went in the portal; he wasn't good. Like if you want to win any amount of games and you know win over fans and start building that culture up again, as as Jonathan Smith did in Corvallis over these past years. I mean, you got to have some baseline level of quarterback play that can allow you to succeed, right? And I don't think DJ has the highest ceiling, but obviously his floor is high enough to win Power 5 football games. And and also, consider this. The Big Ten at the top, you know, now with uh, Oregon and Washington going over there, going over there to join uh, Michigan and Ohio State, and you got Penn State and USC in there. It is a it is a top heavy conference for sure. The bottom of that conference is nothing to bat your eyelashes at. I, I mean, it's a bunch like Northwestern has made a bowl game. You know, like what what do do? Good for Northwestern. I'm glad they hired that coach. I think he's you know done a, a great job. I don't remember his name, but in Indiana mess Purdue. Their nickname in my mind has always been Perdon't because what do they ever do except lose for the most part. Like Minnesota, okay, P.J. Flex, solid coach, but, you know, it feels like Iowa State's Matt Campbell. His name was a lot hotter in coaching circles a couple of years ago, and now he's kind of eh, steadied out to just, like, be okay. Like, just keep going up and down the list. Once you get past, you know, we'll see what Luke Fickle becomes at Wisconsin. I think he can do well, but that's not going to become some behemoth in the Big Ten. So if you're Michigan State, with the way that, you know, you can add kids in the portal – yeah, DJ could be a, a stopgap quarterback. He could be the Geno Smith of Michigan State football, which is a bridge <laughs> guy that is not the long-term solution. I will, what I will say about his style, I love the physicality he brings in the run game um, when he chooses to put his foot in the ground and run, DJ. And that could translate oh, yeah. potentially to, quarterback runs. To, to Big Ten football. Um, but at the same time, and to bring it back to your point earlier in the segment about the future of Aiden Childs, that's the next domino, is it not? I mean, with Aiden, oh, it is. I mean, ha, does he to. go to East Lansing or uh, does he decide to come back? That and partnered with whoever Trent Bray picks to be his offensive coordinator, which remains anybody's guess at this point. Yeah, I, I think for, for Trent Bray, he's got to do a number of things. The first one is focus on roster retention because as you look at, at 2024, you've got to be able to compete at at the highest level possible 
and you have to bring back as many guys as you can. And that that's that's definitely definitely got to start with with Aiden Childs. We'll, we'll we'll pick up on this after after a short break. Spencer McLaughlin in for John Canzano right here on the BFT Network. Spencer McLaughlin in for John Canzano here. It's the BFT. You already know. At least I hope so. Thanks so much for making this part of your day. It's time now. We have reached that part in the show for our Big Splash. This is the Big Splash. Brought to you by Killer Burger. Voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger's 10 rad burger builds will send your taste buds on an epic journey. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about. So Trent Bray is the head coach now for Oregon State. He is not the interim head coach. He is the head coach. He will not be coaching the bowl game. He's got a number of things to do. And the interim head coach, Coach Hinson for the Bees, was talking about the guy who I think needs to be priority number one for Trent Bray as he tries to field the most competitive roster he can in 2024. Here is Oregon State interim head coach Kefonse Hinson on, I apologize if I didn't pronounce that correctly, Coach Hinson on Aiden Giles. Um, well, the depth chart dictates that. So Aiden was our backup quarterback all year. So, um, if, you know, he's, he's elevated. Everybody just kind of bumps up. And then we still got two weeks of practice to sort that stuff out, too. And, uh, you know, everybody forgets Ben. All Ben did was win a bunch of games last year and was the Las Vegas Bowl MVP. So um, I'm excited about Ben. I'm partial to Ben because when he was a young guy, I was calling the, the twos on offense, and he and I would come up with some crazy stuff to run. And now we can kind of do it. So when DJ Uyunglele put his name into the transfer portal, my initial reaction was, hey, that's a great first step, it would seem, towards getting Aiden Childs, right? I don't know how many of you are golfers out there, but if you're trying to break 80 for the first time, if you shoot a 38 on the front, it's not guaranteeing that you're going to come in under 80 on the back. But you know that you had to shoot that 38 or be under 40 on the front to give yourself that sort of hope psychologically so that is the step one dj goes in the portal my thought is well well certainly aiden childs is going to be hanging around that question for coach hinson was about aiden childs i noticed about 70 percent of the quote was about ben goldbranson that, that that can't make you feel great if if you're an oregon state fan it does not feel fantastic now but in his defense though he did say aiden childs is the number one guy on the depth chart he said that clearly. Well, he also said it, you know, as a matter of fact, by default. <laughs> it wasn't exactly a, you know, ringing endorsement for the notion that Aiden Childs is going to be the beef starter in 2024, which brings me back to my point. If you're Trent Bray, I think there are a couple reasons you have to be all in as you can for 2024. I think that's what the hire indicates for Oregon State. I think if you want to establish a culture – of of winning you need to do it rather quickly especially given what we expect oregon state schedule to be which is six group of five opponents five power five opponents one of which is washington state and then one fcs by game against idaho state it's a pretty solid respectable independent football schedule which is what oregon state and washington state will be in 2024 at least in, in the interim and that's you know not a great place to be obviously it's a pretty bad place to be but they are, I think, making uh, uh, the, the best out of a, a bad situation there, putting together that sort of schedule. But I think that from a, a culture standpoint, getting the buy-in and keeping the buy-in from the fans on Oregon State football 
football. I mean, I mean, pending relegation is not a great thing for your program in a number of regards. But here's the other thing, guys. Zach Arnett is a name that some people should be aware of. That was the defensive coordinator at Mississippi State. The late Mike Leach tragically passed away. RIP Pirate forever and always. And Zach Arnett steps in to be the head coach. It doesn't go well in year one. They have made a change and hired Oklahoma's Jeff Levy, the offense coordinator, to be their new head coach. Trent Bray's salary is significantly less than what Jonathan Smith was making. And I think it's the sort of salary that says you're a first-time head coach, and also we think this is going to work, but if it doesn't work, we have the ability to get out of it if it goes completely in the wrong direction. So I think both from a fan standpoint, a culture standpoint, and from a job security standpoint, Trent Bray has to do everything he can to win in 2024, and that starts with getting Aiden Childs back, and that may be a tall order, is, but it's where his priorities have to be. Is that the most important thing, or is it the coordinators? Because he, Trent Bray, we talked about it, You know, he can sell the defense. The offense coordinator is going to be so important. Is it more important to get the players in there or the coordinators building forward for Trent Bray in year one? I think you have to have the players for, for year one right now at the quarterback position. I think the coordinators make everybody else good, right? We were talking off the air with uh, with regards to the Seahawks in the NFL, and I mentioned Kyle Shanahan, who's a much better coach than Pete Carroll at this point in, in, in his career. And Kyle Shanahan runs a lot of or runs the football a lot. He does so very successfully with a bunch of running backs that nobody's heard of. He made Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert and Elijah Mitchell. Like he made these guys into names. If you have the right coordinator and play caller, then you can get skill position players who elevate or be at their best, but you can only do so much if you've got a limited quarterback situation. I don't know what sort of options would be available to Oregon State beyond Aiden Childs and if you can keep him, I think that's the place that you've certainly got to be looking if you're Trent Bright. That's priority number one. I think you got to keep him there. And I think Aiden Childs actually can help make that offensive coordinator position for a team that is kind of in flux as a football program. It can make it even more attractive. Hour two coming next on the BFT. BFT. Now, built by high-caliber millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Spencer McLaughlin with the ball faced truth. What's up, everybody? It is hour number two. Thanks so much for making this a part of your day. Spencer McLaughlin, host of Locked On Ducks and Locked On Pac-12 with you here. In for John Canzano on the ball that faced truth. Last Pac-12 championship tomorrow. Had a great first hour. Let's make it an even better second hour here. So, a lot of quarterbacks are in the transfer portal right now. One of them is a guy by the name of Dante Moore. Oregon fans listening to this are likely familiar with that name. He was a one-time verbal commitment to the University of Oregon. Then Kenny Dillingham took the head coaching job down at Arizona State. Dante Moore decommitted and flipped to Chip Kelly down at UCLA. And that puts it, I'll get to Chip Kelly here in just a moment, but I think there are plenty of Oregon fans out there. In fact, I know because they're in my Twitter mentions and DMs and, and the like who are um, asking me, hey, should, should Oregon go after Dante Moore? Are we interested? Are the Ducks going to go after him? Are they going to do this, that, and the other thing? I'm here to tell you that when Dante Moore was being recruited, I absolutely, positively wanted him to be an Oregon Duck. 
today, November 30th, 2023, I do not want that. I do not see the upside of adding Dante Moore. He was an unknown commodity who would have sat behind Bo Nix for a year and competed for the starting job with Ty Thompson in 2024. We've seen him play a year of college football. It's clear he's got a lot of potential, but he needs a lot of work. Bringing in a guy like that via the portal makes absolutely no sense. He doesn't want to go somewhere in which he isn't going to be guaranteed the starting spot. Him getting benched, which he deserved to be benched, by the way. I thought he won the job from Ethan Garbers. I thought he lost it back to Ethan Garbers. And UCLA had a rotation throughout the year. They end the season 7-5. and five. Dante Moore throws 11 touchdowns, 9 picks, and his completion percentage wasn't exactly where Bo Nix's was here in 2023. But if you're going to bring in Dante Moore, why at that point would you not just start Ty Thompson? That's another highly rated recruit who appeared to need a lot of work and has had the time to put in that work in practice and learn from a guy named Bo Nix, who we know is a great leader and is an incredibly cerebral quarterback who has clearly had an effect on Ty Thompson in a positive way. If you compare the limited action in which we saw Ty Thompson in 2022 and, you know, as a true freshman in 2021, but particularly last year, if you compare that to this year, He's a completely different player in those sequences. The numbers are better, and the eye test is far different. He looks more comfortable, he's more accurate, he's more consistent, and he makes the simple throws that he struggled making just a season ago. I understand he's coming in in garbage time. You don't know exactly what he'd be as a starter. But I'm here to tell you I know what Dante Moore is as a starter right now. He'd be coming into a system he can't possibly know as well as Ty Thompson. He'd be learning it in a year, and you're hoping that he hits his ceiling going to a second spot. Right now, if I tell you who's got a better chance to hit a ceiling as a quarterback at Oregon, Ty Thompson or Dante Moore, how is that answer not Ty Thompson? He's comfortable with his teammates. He's comfortable with his head coach. He's comfortable with his offensive coordinator. Nothing will be new to him next year except potentially the workload and the starting, the starting role. And I don't know if Oregon goes after a transfer. If you can get Cam Ward, it'd be pretty hard to say no to that. It'd be pretty hard. But DJ Uyunglele, Dante Moore, I am completely and utterly out on those guys coming in to be Oregon's quarterback next year because I don't think either guy brings anything to the table that Ty Thompson doesn't also bring to the table. And I, I know he hasn't gone up you know, in a full game or uh, against a, a lineup of you know starting defensive players and all that sort of stuff. But, Stephen, call me crazy here. When Ty Thompson came into the game this year, time after time, Arizona State or Cal or like whichever game it was, Ty Thompson was impressive. Full stop. Yeah, I think Ty Thompson, he still has that potential, right? You still see it when, when he's out there on the field. I would just say that this, Spencer, like – wouldn't it be better just to have the most competition possible? Like, what's the worst that's going to happen if you bring in a Dante Moore? He transfers before the season because he loses out the job to Ty Thompson? Or if Dante Moore comes into camp and he's awesome, then Ty Thompson leaves? Like, I don't, I, I just don't know what the downside would be to bring in one of these guys, whether it's you know, DJ or Cam Ward, Dante Moore, any of those guys, just to compete with Ty Thompson. Because, you know, as you said, Ty Thompson has been good when he's played. 
but he's never had to play like in a serious moment, right? Like there's never been an actual game that mattered when he's out there on the field except for that Washington game uh, a season ago, and they just didn't want to have him throw the football. So he's still unproven in that way. So I, I, I just think if you can bring him in, bring him in, but don't promise them anything that they're going to get the job. And if they don't want to come to Oregon, then that's fine. You can rely on Todd Thompson, but I just think competition has got to be the way to go. I do think you're right, though. I think Ty Thompson, like even if you throw out Dante Moore or DJ Uyunglele, I think Ty Thompson's the favorite in the clubhouse to be the starting quarterback. I think it's a different story if it's Cam Ward. I think Cam Ward. I don't think that's. I don't, I don't think that's even worth the time. I don't think it's worth the worth the scholarship or any NIL money that you'd have to you dole out as well. I, I I don't think it's worth any of that because I just don't see the upside. Dante Moore has shown nothing, and you don't know what Ty Thompson is in big games and big moments. That's for sure. I know what Dante Moore is at this point in time, and that guy has to be completely corrected between the ears. I thought he would stick it out in UCLA. I I, I thought he would stay and oversee the Bruins going to the Big Ten, be the starter next year. I think that puts Chip Kelly in a precarious situation because the reason UCLA wasn't as good as they should have been this year, and I predict their season record on the money before the year began at seven and five. And my issue with them was the quarterback room, Chip Kelly, college teams in the NFL too, but we're talking college football here. Greatest sport in the world. Chip Kelly has had success when he's had good to great quarterback play. He has to have it. And I didn't think he'd get that this year. He didn't. And he doesn't have to have a Marcus Mariota level guy. He's got to just have a Jeremiah Masoli out there. And he didn't have that this year. Someone who could play at an above average, but not all conference caliber level. It, you, you know, here's a thought. Here, here's, here's a crazy idea that just popped in my head. If you have crazy ideas, by the way, phone lines are open. 503-417-7575 is, an, is the number to call. DJ Uyunglele to UCLA. Judah, your reaction to that crazy idea is what? I like it. I like it. Uh, because I think the other thing with Chip is he likes somebody that's experienced. And Dante was anything but experienced. DJ, you could argue that his biggest asset that he brings is experience. Um, he, he doesn't want, always play like he's super experienced. But, yes, he does have it. You also want easy answers. I think Chip gives you easy answers. Jonathan and, and Brian... Because uh, we're on a first name basis with those guys, uh, they, you know, there's there's some plays in that scheme you got to read it out. You know, you got to go one to two to to three to figure it out because that's what you do in the pros. DJ mentally, he's not sharp enough to do that. I thought he would be, honestly, I thought he would be, but he does not process fast enough when he's got to make reads and make make decisions. Uh, I think Chip would have taken experienced quarterback. That's got some seasoning, and his power run game is an asset. He would make things easy for him, and I think in that scenario, I think DJ would do just fine. Actually, on first blush, I think that would be a marriage made in heaven. Uh, but at the same time, I thought Dante Moore would hit the ground running with Chip Kelly and Westwood, and that did not happen. So I don't know if that was me overrating Chip Kelly's influence or perhaps overrating Dante Moore's ability but I kind of bought into the Dante Moore hype, and it certainly uh, didn't pay off this year. It did not. And I think that what what's curious is, you know, he was going to go to Oregon. And, and by the way, I interviewed him down in Las Vegas at the OT7 camp before he had uh, committed verbally. And I asked him about the Ducks when he was committed, and the first guy he went to was Kenny Dillingham. It was not Dan Lanning. It was Kenny Dillingham. You know, I asked him, hey – you know, what, what, what do you like about, about Oregon? Well, Kenny Dillingham's my guy. 
Kenny Dillingham leaves. Dante Moore leaves. I have no idea what's going on with Jaden Rashada down at Arizona State. Right. Is is he injured? Is it weird? It, you know, it's it's a weird spot. If if that situation were to develop in a way that they had an opening, I think that could be a possibility because I think Dillingham is is a good offensive coach, but. Yeah, I, th- I think DJU to UCLA is interesting. Let's go to Cam in Eugene. Cam, your thoughts on uh, what we're talking about here? Hey, thanks for taking the call. I just want to say that um, I'm dreading and sad for and simultaneously so excited for the, the end of this season for the Pac-12 conference and my Ducks. Uh, but even, and I've come to this weird place, even if Washington beats Oregon tomorrow, I'm going to be mad about it until Monday. And I'm going to swallow hard. I'm going to root for Washington anyway because the most important thing to me right now is that the Pac-12 raises that trophy at the end of the year before before it's all said and done. Uh, and if we have to go beat up on Texas in the Fiesta Bowl, oh, well, I love beating Texas. So, you know, hopefully we win tomorrow and go Ducks, and I think we will. But regardless, it's about to be a Pac-12 love out for me for the rest of the season after tomorrow. Well. Well, uh, Cam, first of all, thank you. Thank you for the call. And I, I got to say, of all the minority opinions I've heard in my time as a sports talk host, that is in the top one-tenth of one percent, man. I, I I have heard many a times Oregon fans say, well, you know, I'll root for the Beavs every game except when they play the Ducks, and then I want to beat them into oblivion. Like, like that's, that's, that's pretty commonplace. But the Washington component, I got to tell you, that's – that's a new one. Have you guys come across that one before? No, that one, uh, I, I loved that call when he told me that. Did you wanted to come on? I'm like, that is a great take, Cam. Let's get you on the air here. I Well, it, well it, depends, it depends on who you ask as to how great that particular take is <laughs> because it, some fans might have had their had their blood boiling. The phone lines might be popping off right now so the people can call in and say, why, did, why would Cam root for the Huskies? Why would, why would you do this, that, and the other thing? Hey, feel free to call in if you're uh, not on that take and you're just going to be rooting for the Huskies <laughs> to lose at the cultural play if they end up winning. But it's it's almost it makes me sad because it's like we should have had this mentality you know, 10 years ago. We should have pulled an SEC and just said we root for all the SEC teams and maybe the Pac-12 would still be alive. You know, If it just meant more here in the Pac-12. No, I don't know if Auburn's rooting for Alabama when they go to the Natty and Auburn's playing in the Birmingham Bowl. Well, if they win the national title, then you know they're screaming, oh, SEC, SEC. You know that. that you know that's true, Spencer, right? Auburn, Auburn's <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, I mean, yeah, that, I mean, that's that's true. And clearly it worked. I mean, Tennessee is ranked, for goodness sake. Missouri yeah. is in the Missouri is in the top 10. Missouri's in the top ten. You're not, a drink, you're not drinking the Drinkowitz. I mean, I like Eli Drinkowitz. I, I think it's great that they've had a good season because I, you know, as someone who has seen small town colleges struggle to have uh, w- winning seasons, people might not know. I, I'm the play-by-play voice of the Southern Utah Thunderbirds. We just wrapped up in on the football field our first winning season in six years. Like I, I, I empathize with with that with, with that sort of stuff. Yeah, Coach Fitz. Uh, does 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 a heck a heck of a job down there. He's a heck of an interview too. But I I, I just look at Missouri. And I'm like, ah, that's not. That's like like a couple of years ago when Arkansas was good. I remember texting with a buddy and he said, uh, "Oh, I like Arkansas this year." I said, "No, nah, that's a that's a pullback team. That's that's a that's a classic instance of, of a pullback team." He's like, "No, you're wrong. Arkansas is good. They got this." And then Arkansas went six and six. And the year before, I think they went like nine and four. They had a good year. I'm glad when teams are able to do that because I don't want fans to just, you know, 
be what I dealt with with the Mariners for a long time. You know, like I, I don't want other other fans to go through that because it's not it's it, it's it's not quite as fun. Again, it, the phone number five zero three four one seven seven five seven five. If you want to call in, go ahead. Steve. It is interesting though that the Pac twelve is kind of getting the respect this year in the College Football Playoff, right? Like Oregon yeah, yeah, for the. For the first, for the, the first time, right? The first ever. time yeah. in the last year, because Oregon. I mean, Spencer, you, you as a Duck fan, you know that the resume is not great for Oregon. Yet they're the number one one loss team. They've been that way the entire season. So I, I, it is interesting to see that in the final year of the Pac-12, they finally are getting some respect of how good that conference is. But they've been getting it all year, right? You know, looking at the non-conference, yeah. they were getting it. But it well, is you fun know, to see. it's fun to see finally that is happening. You know, the deepest conference. It's the deepest conference in America, and I, I think it's you know, not as strong of a resume for the Ducks because the committee is deciding it's not as strong of a resume. And I am a proponent of, you know, when you play a team that is ranked and then they end the year unranked, but they maybe end the year unranked by one game, I, I don't view that as some just like nothing went. Now, there are exceptions to that, right? Colorado was was, was not the 19th best team in, in the country, but a ranking is a reflection of, of how a team was playing going into that matchup, the caliber of football, the standard of football they had been playing at, Utah had been playing like the number 13 team in the country. And then Oregon went in and beat them badly. And now the committee has decided that despite Tennessee and Utah having a common opponent in which Tennessee lost by double digits and, and Utah won by double digits, the committee has decided that Tennessee is a quality win and Utah suddenly is not. And I find that to be complete and utter bogus. So when people, you know, come at the the Ducks and say, well, the schedule's weak, they don't have as many top 25 wins. I'm like, top 25 in the eyes of whom exactly? Because the way that the committee judges this sort of stuff is wildly inconsistent and, and, and irrational in a number of different ways. And I understand the resume part of it with, with, with Oregon. When you look at their resume on paper, no, it's not as impressive. But in what world is the Big 12 a behemoth of a conference? It is the, I mean, the Big 12 stinks. Like, like the, big, the Big 12 has got Oklahoma State playing in its conference championship game. I don't host Locked On Big 12. I host Locked On Pac-12. But every chance I got, I tried to remind people, as Oklahoma State hung around in the rankings, that they weren't actually a good football team. And then I think it was like Kansas State or TCU, somebody – Hey, no, UC, wasn't it UCF? Yeah. UCF, a team that isn't making a bowl game this year. As Oklahoma State was regaining respect in the eyes of the college football world. Look at them go. They're, they're a completely a non-bowl team that was playing in the American Conference last year ran them off the face of the earth. It was like that old poetry book you read as a kid, Where the Sidewalk Ends. Okay, that's where Oklahoma State went. They went tumbling off the cliff because they're not actually that good. They're they're not actually that good. So that's my pushback to the whole. Well, Oregon's resume is weak. I'm like Texas is playing in the Big Twelve. Don't 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 give me the Big Twelve is good because it just simply speak simply put is not. Texas is a good team. Just to be clear, Texas is going to mop the floor with Oklahoma State. If you like gambling, Texas minus fourteen is free money. Well, first of all, Shell Silverstein reference uh, for the win. <laughs> yes, indeed. Where the sidewalk ends by Shell Silverstein. Always I remember that. reading that book as a kid. Number two, Mike Gundy, Big Twelve Coach of the Year. So uh, put some uh, yeah, oh, put some oh, respect well. on that uh, mullet uh, as you as you I talk won't. about him. But I won't. At, at the same time, don't you want to see Texas in the playoff? 
I mean, we were we were talking about that a little bit before the show. Texas is still yes. a team you want to see in the playoff because they the four teams the that I would like to see in the playoff are the Pac-12 winner, Michigan, Georgia, and Texas. I think those would be the best combination of the best and most deserving teams. And the, I think the I, I think that's that's where it should be. And the simplest way for that to happen. Florida State just has to lose to Louisville. Florida State needs to lose to Louisville. Just, ha- Florida, just have it happen, right? Like nobody, that's all we need. Nobody, nobody wants, nobody wants Florida State to win. Uh, real quick, guys, let's let's get to some punch it audio here, shall we? Let's do it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. All right, so I'm a Seahawks fan. They play on Thursday Night Football tonight. Uh, Last I checked, they're an eight-and-a-half-point underdog on the road against the Dallas Cowboys. But Pete Carroll says he's Feeling good after the Seahawks got drubbed by the 49ers at home. We we needed to bounce back, and we did. You know, we came back. We had three terrific days uh, here in the VMAC, and, and guys were really up for it, um, as, as crisp as we've been. And so uh, that was the response that was really obvious. So glad to see it. Yeah, when I go out and shoot a, a score on the golf course that's seven shots worse than I'm hoping for, and I go back and hit the range, I too convince myself that I have solved all of my problems. And then I get back out on the golf course and realize, oh wait, I can't putt. And I had 37 putts last round, and improving to 35 doesn't actually do anything for you. The Seahawks have been a good story the last couple of years, but something has become painfully obvious. They can't build an offensive line anymore, even though they've got two good tackles, one of whom Abe Lucas, the former Washington State Cougar, is back off an injury reportedly tonight. That'll help, but the interior is a mess. They can't run the football. They decided to use a second-round pick on a running back last year. Meanwhile, Cal Shanahan is running the football behind a great offensive line with running backs that come from schools that even I haven't heard of, and I work at a directional school that plays FCS football. Like, it's just... The underlying issues are too significant for me to think that a good week of practice spells an upset victory for the Seahawks tonight. Gosh, Judah, I'd love to be wrong about our beloved Hawks. But again, you know, the easiest bet in the NFL is the Dallas Cowboys against a bad team. And I think the Seahawks are a pretty bad 6-5 and five football team. Oh, that hurts. That hurts. I know. Because you're lumping, truth, lumping us in the with, truth the, hurts. with the commandos and the gigantes and a bunch of other crap teams the Cowboys have beat up on since the, the Philly game a, a few weeks ago. I, you know, I, it might be a little bit emotional from my end. I get that. But I just look at Pete Carroll, coach teams, and maybe I'm being naive. But they're in the middle of this stretch of Niners, Cowboys, Niners, Eagles. And I don't think they go 0-4. I think they win one of these. And I, I may be in the minority. <laughs> the way the Niner Thanksgiving game went, it's probably not the Niners. But there's something in me that says they'll get one of these games. Is it Philly, which just got flexed to a Monday night game uh, earlier today, that eagles oh, good, game? Good, or- good. Philly can dominate our offensive line in front of the entire in front of the entire country. <laughs> that's, 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 that's fantastic. Uh, Judah, I've got a water bottle in my hand that has like 10% capacity right now. I, it's good to know that you can fill it up to halfway full at any time. I'm doing that's, my that's, best. 
but it, I, I think Seahawks keep it close in the first half. If there's a bet out there that I can get Seahawks like plus four and a half in the first half, I might smell that one out. But outside, well, of that, I hope I hope the Seahawks have a higher first half point total than Iowa, whose first half point total against Michigan is zero point five. By the way, take the under. Eric Scope will come up next right here on the BFT. I am not John Canzano. Fact check. I am, however, Spencer McLaughlin. Great to have you in here on this Thursday night, the eve of the final Pac-12 football game between two Pac-12 teams. Unless there's a crazy bowl scenario in which two Pac-12 teams play each other, but I think that kind of defeats the purpose of uh, of bowl season. But always love hitting the phone lines. 503-417-7575 is the number to call. Dan in Tiger. Go ahead, Dan. Yes, I thank you for taking my call. I've wanted to talk about the Pac-12 championship. I think, uh, yeah. I think you know, as the saying goes, it's sometimes it's hard to beat another team twice, unless you're really, really good. I think the Ducks will come away with the win, but uh, I think that maybe Washington's going to be overconfident, and I think the Ducks are going to be playing with fire. They're very consistent. I think it's going to be a blowout, and I think. Uh, I think uh, Bo Nix is going to increase his uh, Heisman chances to win, uh, even though there's, you know, you know things can be said that the hot guy is Jaden Daniels, and he's a, a, you know, a splashy guy. But when it comes to statistics, I think really uh, Bo Nix with that completion rate, uh, rating uh, percentage is uh, just really, really good. But also my take is, that I think Texas, if Texas blows them out and Florida State blows them out and somehow Michigan loses and we could have a Florida State, Texas, Oregon, and uh, Georgia in the in the Final Four. I don't know what you think of those odds. but Well, I think they're pretty slim because Iowa's not going to score a point on Saturday afternoon against Michigan. I'm not kidding. That game is going to end 27-0. to You heard it here first. Iowa's not going to score uh, a single point in that game. I, I understand Oregon fans that have the confidence. Um, you know, the point spread on uh, DraftKings, I think, has moved up to minus 10. That's a that's a big number. I, I think if Oregon wins, Bo Nix should certainly win the Heisman, as uh, Mike Jorgensen of the Oregon Sports Network said. He better, and I, I definitely agree with that sentiment. Jorgie's a great guy. Uh, the one thing I'll caution Oregon fans about, um, about, you know, potentially beaten Washington by a lot. Sure, I, I could see him winning by 14, 17 points if they play super, super well, but I think there's a psychological hurdle to get over for the Ducks for a team that is your uh, heated rival and that has ripped your heart out twice. A guy who has seen both of those games in the last couple of years in person, joining me now to talk about it, Duck Territory, 24-7 Sports, the Odds and Audibles podcast. Eric Scopel joining me here on the BFT. Eric, are you ready for the last Pac-12 football championship game in the history of the world? I'm sitting in a hotel in Las Vegas, so I, I better be. I, uh, I don't <laughs> I don't know what else I'm preparing for all the way down here, but it's, uh, it's crazy what you just said, and it's kind of just sinking in here that we're 24 hours away from, as you said earlier, Pac-12 kind of coming to a close. How, how bizarre for, I must speak for myself, someone who's grown up on the West Coast, following this conference, you know, basically since I was out walking. So, yeah, weird, weird stuff, but excited to be down here for it. 
Yeah, but bizarre to say the least. Uh, I'll be there as well. I'll see you up in the press box. Maybe you can stop me from uh, hyperventilating during the game. That'd be that'd be very very much appreciated, Eric. But uh, there are a lot of Oregon fans. You know, Dan was just calling in a moment ago, confident that that Oregon can win. It's a it's a big point spread, Eric. Almost ten points uh, historically. When you've had that sort of number uh, and a top five team is that large of an underdog in a conference championship game. The favorite has won and covered. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too emotionally invested in the Ducks winning, winning this football game. Is that line as crazy as it looks to me? I don't know if it is. Um, it's certainly bigger than, like, I, if we hit the rebound button to go back to October, it's certainly much greater than I anticipated, but it, it would have been then. But I will also say like, I came out of that game thinking Oregon was maybe the better team and that on a neutral even then I was like maybe they'd be a two- or a three-point favorite. The fact that it's ballooned to, to as you said, nine-and-a-half, ten points, I think signifies a couple things. A, Oregon's been playing really, really good football. I've kind of found their knockout punch, and they just landed knockout blow after knockout blow, you know, the entire back half of the schedule. And, you know, kind of conversely, Washington seems to have lost its knockout blow, right? Like you go and look at the way they've won games, it's been – Really impressive the resiliency, but they haven't exactly just put their throat, you know, foot on someone's throat and just finished the game in the third quarter. Like most of these games have been played, including the last couple against Oregon State and, and Washington State, right down to the end. There, obviously, this last game needing a last-second field goal to to, to seal a, a, the, the perfect regular season for the Huskies. So, I kind of get the momentum there of, of Oregon being the heavy betting favorite. I also say, like, winning nine games in this conference is something that had not happened since the conference expanded to 12 teams in 2011. Um, being a 12-0 and Pac-12 team is something that hadn't happened since Oregon did it right before they expanded. And you think of the Chip Kelly team that went to the championship and lost to Auburn. So, you know, this is a Washington team that's hit some historical benchmarks that sh- certainly should not be overlooked. And I'm sure if you're, you know, your rooting interest lies up in, Seattle, you're kind of going like, what the hell? Why, why are we 10-point underdogs over a team we beat, you know, about a month and a half ago when we're still undefeated? So um, I, I, I get it from all sides, but it is interesting kind of going into this one thing. Wow, Oregon is going to open or it's going to close probably as, as double-digit favorites in a game against a team that hasn't lost all season and, and has a lot to play for too. Eric Scopel, 24-7 Sports Autonomous Podcast, joining me here. I'm Spencer McLaughlin, and for John Canzano on The Bald Face Truth. So, uh, by the way, just real quick, Eric, you're a, a, a Gonzaga guy at one point in time, right? Sure am. Uh, I just want to tell you to watch out for my Santa Clara Broncos this year. That's all I'm going to say. I'm just going to leave it okay. right there. I I, I think this I think this could be a year that Santa Clara knocks off Gonzaga for the first time since... 2011. I'm trying not to get my hopes up too high on the front, but uh, just just watch for that. West Coast Conference basketball, pretty darn good. Anyway, back to uh, the the football <laughs> game here. Oregon appears to to going to be going forward without Jaleel Florence. I don't know if there's been any confirmation on on that front, but what do you think that means for the Oregon secondary going up against what I think uh, you know is a now healthy and and the best wide receiver core in in all of college football. Yeah, no confirmation there or any further clarity. I mean, the, the way this week works, because it's sort of abbreviated with the game being played on Friday, There's we, media did not get to go into practice this week. Dan spoke just on Monday. He gave a pretty kind of, um, I, I would say, 
lacking any clarity sort of response, essentially said, we'll see, maybe, maybe, maybe not on Florence and Rod, uh, Roderick Pleasant, who's another defensive back who's dealing with an injury. I, I, my expectation is Florence does not play in this game from everything I can gather. Um, it, it seems like he might have sustained something rather significant down um, in Tempe. So we'll, we'll see what kind of the long-term fallout from that is. But to this matchup, yeah, I mean, it's it's not insignificant. And, and you know, Oregon has, and Oregon fans can go ahead and knock on any wood if they want right now, but they've had an incredible year in terms of avoiding that brutal injury, right? Like there's just, besides from Noah Whittington, that's really been the only one that's taken place this year to a key player. And now you get into the, you know, the closing point in the season and to have a player in the secondary out for this specific matchup is probably, uh, you know, the, the position you, you would least like to have hit. Um, at the same time, Oregon has a lot of depth at that position. Dante Manning was a former five-star recruit. Thought he played pretty well at times, filling in last week against Oregon State. Obviously had some ups with the interception, had the downs with a couple of pa- uh, pass interference calls, had a couple of plays where he was beaten coverage. Um, he's certainly a capable replacement. Triquist Bridges started basically every game a year ago at corner. He's another player to rely on. And then Nico Reed is a player who was a starting corner of Colorado last year. Has played kind of more in the slot this year. So it's not like they don't have the players or the options, but the question is, does anybody have the, the ability to elevate to the level of play they need to? Because this isn't just, hey, we can win with a, a C-plus performance from one of our starting corners. Like, you're going to probably need to be very, very best to contend with, as you said. I think undoubtedly the best receiving core out in the West Coast. And Roma Dunes has been cooking players left and right. Oregon probably won't have Dante Manning or any of these backups on him, but they have Jalen McMillan. They have Jalen Polk. These are two of the better receivers in the conference as well, even though McMillan has been kind of in and out of lineup all year. Certainly hasn't been his best season from a health perspective. It seems like they're kind of rounding into form, and I guess if the, the recipe for Washington winning this game outright is really just their receivers roast Oregon secondary, and they're able to keep up because I do think Oregon's offense is going to be able to score points in this one. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The Ducks haven't been held under 30 points in a game this season. I don't think that changes on Friday night at Allegiant Stadium. So it comes down to, you know, what Washington can do offensively, and they have not been the first half of the season juggernaut. You know, we don't know what's going on with Michael Penix. He hasn't looked quite the same. But I, I think, you know, two things that, uh, that that Josh Pate would call padlock stats, if, if Oregon has fewer than 40 penalty yards and if they have more than three sacks, I think if they do either one of those things, but certainly if they do both of them, I think they're winning the game and covering the spread. And, you know, I, I think that a close game, Eric, favors Washington with the way they've executed late in games, been there time and time again, more so than, than Oregon has. The Ducks have played a double-digit uh, victory every game since uh, going up against the Huskies in Seattle on October 14th. Camden Lewis is not able to make a field goal consistently right now. I think Oregon has the better chance to win by double digits. I think it comes down to a one-possession game. I think that favors Washington. I probably agree. I don't, you know, it's funny. I haven't really thought about it from that perspective much this week, but there, there would be a strong case to say, like, which team is more battle-tested in these kind of moments? Certainly this season is Washington. And then to the point you made, I think, right before I hopped on, of, like, is there a mental hurdle there? Like, Oregon, this team knows how to win football games. They've won 11 this year. The core group of this group won 10 games a year ago. But one thing that they haven't done is beat Washington. And this is a very, very much an impressive Washington team in terms of how they just find ways to win, right? Like, 
they're, the, they're, they're kind of like that annoying team you meet up in March, you know, March Madness with. And the, I'll use another college basketball reference, but like it's like playing Iowa or Wisconsin in a tournament where you're like, you know, your team's probably better than them, but if, if they're able to just grind it out and make it a close game late, you're just kind of nervous about how it's going to go. That's kind of what it's like with Washington, where I, I don't anticipate, to your point, I don't anticipate Washington blows Oregon out. I don't know if they have that knockout punch, but they are certainly capable of winning a close, highly competitive game that comes down to the final position, possession, right? They've shown that time and time. They've shown that probably too much for their fan base. Their fan base is probably tired of it, but that's just the way it's gone. Basically, the whole second half of the season, and even a little bit in the early part. So, yeah, no, I think that's a fair question of like if this is a, you know, uh, edge of your seat kind of game here, where the the fans in a legion are are you know sweating into the final possession or two of the fourth quarter. Oregon certainly has question marks there, and you brought up the kicking game, and Camden Lewis has not got not figured things out since the last time these two teams met. Um, meanwhile, Washington's kicker just hit a game winner last week. I know he's had a bunch of problems himself, but no, there's certainly kind of an argument to be had of like, okay, if this game does come down to, if one team's going to win by three points, maybe Washington seems like the team that's more likely to win a game like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I, th- I also think, you know, in, in a close game, critical situation, penalties can be a drive extender. They can move you into field goal range. They can uh, give you hope when all hope has seemingly been lost. And I think that's another thing that works against Oregon in a tight game. But I think if the Ducks play their best version of of Oregon football in 2023, uh, I, I think they can win and, and cover that point spread. It's just a matter of whether or not they'll be able to go out on the field and execute. Eric Scopel, 24-7 Sports, Ots and Audible's podcast, Duck Territory. See you in the press box tomorrow, Eric. All right. Look forward to it, buddy. See ya. Eric Scopel, fantastic stuff. As Always, we got plenty more to get to here on our number two of the Bald Face Truth rolling along. Spencer McLaughlin still in here for John Canzano on the BFT. Stephen and Judah joining me as always. Wanted to get to a, a couple clips before I talk about Dan Lanning and the, the Pac-12 championship game. So uh, I'm not the oldest sports broadcaster you've probably ever listened to, and the first uh, you know, I'm a Duck fan, and the first uh, superstar for Oregon that that I remember, you know, I remember Dennis Dixon for sure. But when Chip Kelly took over, it was it was different. It was different. Oregon was relevant nationally in a way they hadn't been before. You know, everyone wanted to be like the Ducks: the facilities, the uniforms, the fast offense, the spread. Everything was. You know, Eugene, in many ways, was the envy of a lot of places in, in the college football world. So as a result, you know, I've long had the take, and still do, of, of course, that my favorite Oregon football player of all time is LaMichael James. And I saw the other day that LaMichael James, uh, or not the other day, the other week, I suppose, that he's getting inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in in 2023, which I, I think is just such a well-deserved honor for that guy uh here's here's a little bit on uh, on the michael james james trying to get to the outside looking for a block james still on the sidelines shakes another tackle james touchdown <laughs> what a run that was a 73-yard touchdown 
against Tennessee, 2010, perfect regular season for for the Ducks. Final score in that one at Neyland Stadium, 42-10. to 10. That game was tied at the half, and the legendary Nick Aliotti adjustments came into play. So why am I talking about this today? Well, well Michael James did that in the final year of the Pac-10, and tomorrow... Bo Nix, you know, hopefully for the Ducks, is going to put on a legendary sort of performance in the final game for the Pac-12. The difference, of course, the conference isn't changing, it's going away. And I think that, you know, really, really stinks. But I want to do a a wish of congratulations, if he's listening out there, to Michael James, uh, my favorite Oregon player of of all time. I know there are a lot of great options. I think Bo Nix, frankly, guys, is working his way into that sort of discussion to where, you know, there are going to be a lot of Oregon fans now and, you know, forever who will look back and say, yeah, my favorite player growing up as an Oregon football fan was Bo Nix, which in 2019 would have been a pretty crazy statement to say. Really crazy statement to say, uh, especially after week one of that season, right? I mean, uh, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. It, but I don't, uh, I don't think it's wrong. If he wins the Heisman, he's immediately in that conversation. You know, second duck right. to ever win it, and this weekend will will go a long ways to that. You know, at one point you're like, is he even the greatest number ten quarterback? Right? I mean, what what Herbie did in four years. Uh, wearing that jersey, he's obviously in the discussion. What Dennis Dixon did wearing that jersey, you know, he's in the discussion. I think mm. Dixon, Dixon's up there for me. You know, the the '07 magic that he brought um, certainly played a role in that. But you are right about Lamichael. I mean, even to this day, um, you know, it's easy to imagine. You know, his his legend uh, on the field at Oregon, even more so than a guy like Royce Freeman, who is so. Um, you know, consistent and prolific over four years, but the explosion right. factor with LaMichael, it's just like it, it, right. between him and, well, and De- it, uh, D'Anthony it, Thomas. I mean, that, those are two electric players that, that will forever legends. And don't sleep on Kenyon Barner and in Kenyon. that discussion, by yeah. the way. Kenyon in 2012, remember, he went for 324 down against USC. Turns out USC hasn't played defense since Pete Carroll <laughs> left. That's, that's the rumor flying around the college football world. But you know, when when I think about LaMichael James, uh, anyone listening out there who, who knows me, which I know there are a couple people are, and I appreciate uh, all of you, you know that I am not what you would call a large human being. My nickname is quite literally Smalls. Yes, it is also Grandpa, as well as we talked about earlier in the show. But I've always had a propensity to root for the little guy, and I loved watching Royce Freeman. Man, he was fantastic, highly rated recruit, lived up to the hype and everything, but there was something about LaMichael, you know, being at the center. And, and, you know, Darren Thomas was certainly an unsung hero in some respect of those great Oregon teams in 2010 and 2011. But, you know, LaMichael was the guy that that everybody knew outside the country. The way he ran, the way, you know, his unique style, he was so perfect for the system. He wasn't a big-time recruit coming out of high school. I, I think that, you know, really resonated with, with me and a lot of Oregon fans to this day, and, you know, you talk about Dennis Dixon and Mariota and now Bo Nix and Michael James, like, so easy for these guys to not just be great players but also become fan favorites. And Not that it's easy to be a great player, but easy to become fan favorites as great players. I think that LaMichael was still unique because, you know, Dixon was big time, and then unfortunately he went down with the knee injury in the desert, and I remember watching that, and my 
part just dropped straight. It didn't go into my stomach. It fell out of it, and I had to, you know, reattach it later. And Michael James, frankly, was one of the guys who who did that and helped guide Oregon through a tumultuous time. Do you guys remember why Michael James got the opportunity to start at running back for the Ducks? Boy, Legarrette. Who can tell me? Legarrette. That is correct. Legarrette Blunt punches the Boise State player. <laughs> punches Byron and then, he's just, <laughs> and then he's suspended because Legarrette was going to be the starter. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, here comes this three-star, five-foot-nine running back from Texarkana, and no one really knew anything about him. And then all of a sudden, he's the featured player uh, every time Brent Musburger is on the call for for the Ducks on ESPN or ABC back in the day. Fond memories for me. So I'm, I'm really happy for Michael James uh, because that, that's just such a well-deserved honor, one of the best running backs of, of the last 10, 15 years in college football. That, but to that other point, I mean, Bo Nix's chance to cement himself in the Michael James air, and it won't ever be quite like, like Michael James air per se, but it might be um, – it might be a tier below like Mariota air, you know, because Mariota, I mean, Mariota's his own legend, you know, with the, right. the the story that he had and three star out of Hawaii and obviously goes on to win the Heisman and gets to a national championship game. But can you imagine a quarterback at Oregon? All right, transfer or not, you win the Heisman and you get to the college football playoff and maybe you get to the national title game as well. I mean, hell, do you think they could win it, Spencer? I mean, is that is that crazy to think that Bo Nix could win the I refuse to entertain the thought until Oregon wins the Pac-12 championship game. There, <laughs> I got a mailback. I got a mailback question They're on my Oregon favorites. podcast about, hey, what what do you think about Oregon's chances to do X? And I've got it down at the bottom of my note sheet until Oregon actually wins the game. But you do know so last what I the checked, point football spread. games aren't played on paper. You Not played it. on paper. You know what the point spreads would be if Oregon makes a college football playoff when they play Michigan or Georgia, right? Yeah, did you see I this? saw those numbers, and I don't think they matter until Oregon plays Washington. That is my <laughs> official opinion on the matter right here right here, and right now. Uh, real, real quick on, on Dan Lanning. He has had two uh, pretty brutal losses against Washington so far. Three points. Three points, field goal here, field goal there, fourth down there, decision here, decision there. They have been the most criticized games. I think even more so than his first game in which he got drubbed 49-3 to against his old boss over at Georgia, uh, Kirby Smart. The magnitude of this game is gargantuan for both the Ducks and the Huskies as they try to get into the playoff, have a chance to play for a national championship rivalry factor, last Pac-12 championship, Heisman stakes for Bo Nix. I don't think Penix can win it one way or the other. I think it's Bo Nix or Jaden Daniels at, at this point in time. But still, don't really know how the stakes could realistically be any higher for this one. And I think they're pretty high for Dan Lanning. I, I mean, he's done a great job in two years. And when you look at the one thing he hasn't done, it's beating Washington. And the way that or Oregon's lost those games. It's reflected on him, and people haven't liked how those games have played out. But for Dan Lanning in this spot against the Huskies, if he wins this game, those two losses will become distant memories immediately, would, would especially say, if especially if he covers 10 points. Real spread. quick, would you say it's a must-win for Dan Lanning and his early legacy in Oregon? No, I don't think it's a must win. I think he has already had a great season, and he's going up against a great team in the conference championship game. I think he's capable of putting Oregon in this sort of position consistently where they're at the end of the year competing for a college football playoff spot. Uh, 
probably an at-large berth in in the Big Ten. So I, I don't think there's a must-win factor for Dan Lanning, but he could win over a lot of Oregon fans even more if he wins. Hour three coming next. BFFT. Now, built by high-caliber millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Spencer McLaughlin with the ball faced truth. Welcome in to what will be a nice and tidy hour number three of the Bald Face Truth. I'm Spencer McLaughlin, Stephen and Judah with me as always. Thursday night football is indeed coming your way. Seahawks and Cowboys on Amazon Prime. You can catch the radio feed right here wherever you're listening to the show. So I uh, do not have a supreme amount of confidence in my beloved Seahawks given how they've been playing tonight. Yet conversely, this is the weird part about fandom, guys. I I have some confidence, though not as much as some people would say I should, in Oregon's ability to beat Washington tomorrow, given the way the Ducks and Huskies have been playing. But the way that the Seahawks and Cowboys have been playing, I feel confident saying Seahawks are losing by 20 tonight. (laughs) There's no inherent logic to, to being a fan. There's... There's absolutely nothing about it. We're past the 5 o'clock hour, West Coast time, which means it is time for the 5 at 5. The 5 at 5. Number one. Number one. (laughs) We'll get the sound up here in a second. Uh, All right. So, Spencer, number one here. I want to talk about the transfer portal a little bit. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but... Big yes. news out of Corvallis, DJ Uyunglele. He is going to be hitting the transfer portal. Now there's still some rumors about where he's going to end up. Nobody knows for sure, but looks like DJ is going to be going into the transfer portal once again. And then another one down in UCLA, Dante Moore, the big-time freshman from UCLA. He is going to hit the transfer portal as well. Um, you know, Still no news on Aiden Childs. Looks like he may be playing for Oregon State in the bowl game. We don't know. Of course, the season just kind of ended, all this new coaching stuff. But uh, what do you think of DJU and Dante Moore in the transfer portal? I think they're guys who will attract Power 5 offers because they are former five-star recruits. They've got some talent, certainly need to be in situations where they can be set up to succeed more than they were. Though I think DJ had just about everything he needed at Oregon State. I, I will say, though, I think you can find a better overall situation. I don't know about a better system for DJ, but Silas Bolden, Anthony Gould, really, really good receivers. But it felt like Jack Felling was kind of come and go in the Oregon State offense. There was no big-bodied receiver on the outside. You know, Troy Franklin, Roma Dunze, Tetaro McMillan down in Arizona, who is fantastic. They can bail out their quarterbacks in 50-50 ball situations. And, and with Gould and Bolden, you know, they're in the same mold. They're smaller guys built more on speed to you know, run good routes or take the top off the defense. And, you know, I think if he can go to a spot where maybe he's got that sort of number one receiver in a, a similar style to what he had at Oregon State, I think he can find a lot of success. And with Dante Moore, he needs a really good offensive coach. He needs someone who can, you know, utilize his skill set. I, I thought Chip Kelly, you know, after what he did with Dorian Thompson-Robinson, would be that sort of guy. He just never, uh, or he's not apparently going to give Chip Kelly the chance to be that. I, I don't know that I love that for Dante Moore. 
sure he could end up in a situation where he's got an offensive coach that can maximize his skill set. But I I think Moore is kind of the one who I I have less certainty about with regards to how he can perform in 2024. I think he's much more location dependent, whereas DJ, we know what he is. Number two. There it is. All right, number two, Deion Sanders. He was named Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year. This has gone back to the 50s. Sports Illustrated named the sports, used to be Sportsman of the Year. Now it's the Sports Person of the Year. Um, wasn't necessarily all for on the field as Colorado finished 4-8 and eight after one win last season. But off the field, first-year applications up 26.4% year over year. Black or African-American applications are up 80%. Non-resident applications up 29%. International applications up almost 39%, including 16 new countries that didn't have any applications last year, and 97 countries overall have applied to go to Colorado. Every home game sold out at Folsom Field this year, so Deion Sanders making a big impact off the field. Had the huge start of the season, starting out 3-0. 3-0, right? Yeah, 3-0, and then uh, end up 4-0. Yep, 3-0. But Deion Sanders, Sports Person of the Year, according to Sports Illustrated. Yeah, I, I think that it, it underscores what a lot of people – have known to be true for a long time, which is a university's most important hire, arguably, is its football coach. I mean, look at the value Nick Saban has brought to the University of Alabama. Look at what Dion has done at Colorado. Look at what, you know, a lot of great coaches have done over here on, on the West Coast. And, you know, going to college and having sports to root for is a uniquely American experience. I don't know if everyone knows this. They don't have college sports in Canada or in Europe or in, you know, South American countries, Asian countries, wherever you can, you know, go to university. They they don't have sports like we do in the United States. It's very unique. And I think that Deion Sanders' value is unquestioned. And I think that uh, there are some people that were really happy to watch them put up the exact same record in Pac-12 conference play as they did a season ago. I think he certainly got them trending in the right direction, uh, not as much as it appeared in September, to be sure. There is still a lot of work to be done, but the, the financial benefit to bringing in Coach Prime, undeniable. Number three. Brody James, he's been cleared by doctors, returned to basketball just four months, over four months after he suffered cardiac arrest at a summer workout. Of course, Brody, the son of LeBron James, suffered cardiac arrest on July 24th at a practice. Uh, and was hospitalized for three days. He went under a procedure to treat a congenital heart defect. USC faces Gonzaga on Saturday in Las Vegas. Won't probably play for that. But uh, they will travel also to Auburn later on this season. Bronny has been participating with the team in pregame warm-ups on the court, and he warmed up for the first time with his teammates on their last game against Brown. But good to hear Bronny back and cleared to play. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the excitement level is going to be there when he when he steps onto the court. I don't think he's the sort of pro prospect that, you know, some mock drafts have have made him out to be. I, I think right now, you know, his number one priority is staying healthy and being on the court and, and being someone in, that USC can actually turn to. And I mean, yeah, of course, everyone wants to see him play. I, I think some people might place unrealistic expectations on him. Other people might, you know, oversell how not good of a pro prospect he is. I'm, you know, somewhere in the middle there, which is. He's he's not going to be, I, I don't think, a big-time player in the NBA. He could be a player in the NBA, but I don't think we really know. We haven't seen him go up against college kids yet. So uh, I, I can tell you one thing, and you know, going back to the marketability thing we were discussing with, with, with Deion Sanders, 
Uh, Bronny James gets me to a television because who doesn't want to see what LeBron's kid is like? Number four. Well, speaking of LeBron, his manager, Maverick Carter, he admitted to federal agents in 2021 that he had bet on NBA games through an illegal bookmaker. Uh, Maverick Carter, of course, you know, represents LeBron as his manager. Uh, according to the report he reviewed by the Post, Carter said he placed approximately 20 bets on football and basketball games over the course of a year, with each bet ranging between five and $10,000. Carter said, quote, he could not remember placing any bets on the Lakers, end quote, and denied placing bets for others. But uh, kind of a weird look here for LeBron and Maverick Carter and uh, how they kind of run the league anyways. Well, I, I mean, I understand the the inside knowledge that he has, the connections, not not allowing him to bet on the NBA, I certainly understand if there's a rule against that. But Maverick Carter betting on football, I, I mean, there are a lot of problems in the world, Stephen. I don't think this makes the top 10. This may, may surprise you, but um, I didn't even know this was a thing until you mentioned it just now. Uh, I, I'm not going to sit here and and pretend to be outraged at it because can can we come up with a better example of a victimless crime i mean he placed some money he probably won some he lost some like that's that, that's his prerogative and as long as he is not you know going to officials and trying to give him money so that his bets will hit i, I yeah i got i got no problem with it. i know he's lebron's agent and you know people that connected to someone in the nba shouldn't be betting on the league they're in okay okay but, I mean, is this a big deal? Eh, no, I, I I really don't think so. Number five. We got Thursday Night Football tonight. Spencer right here on 750 The Game in just about uh, five minutes or so. Seattle, they're in Dallas taking the Cowboys. Cowboys, nine-and-a-half-point favorites. Kenneth Walker out for Seattle. Dak Prescott surprisingly fourth right now in the odds for the MVP voting. Who you got? Uh, who do I have in the MVP or who do I have in the game in the tonight? Game, in the game tonight, in the game. In the game, in the game tonight, I I, I like the Cowboys. Uh, it is hard to like the Seahawks. I mean, the Seahawks offensive line, getting Abe Lucas back, I don't right tackle, that'll help, but is it going to help enough to neutralize Micah Parsons and that Cowboys defense? I don't think so. The Seahawks are down in a bad way, and, you know, I'm, I'm a Hawks fan. I, I really would like to see, frankly, the Seahawks just – go for the highest draft pick possible. I, I, I don't see the point of trying to get into the playoffs. You know, at one point in time, it looked like, hey, the NFC is not that good. Maybe they can make a run. No, it's pretty clear. The, the, the top-tier teams in the NFC, the the Niners, are way better than the Seahawks. The Eagles are much better than, than the Seahawks. And I think the Cowboys will even show tonight uh, that they're much better than, than the Seahawks. I think the NFC is a three-horse race between the Cowboys, the Eagles, and the 49ers. Give me the 49ers to, to come out of that and give me the, the – I'll take the Cowboys to win by at least 17 points here tonight. That'll do it for me today on the BFT. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day.